0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon.
1: The lesson this morning is from St. Luke. Chapter 23, verses 32 through 46. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, if he really is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathes his last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rage and revenge.
0: I've noticed that Hollywood loves rage and revenge, and they love it largely because it sells. I don't know if you remember the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas. That was my introduction to a movie that was basically about somebody going on an incredible streak of unchecked rage. The main character had a vehicle breakdown, and then another couple of events of misfortune, and he seems to turn into a sociopath, leaving a trail of angry, entitled destruction in his wake. And then there's a 1996 movie called Payback, starring Mel Gibson about a man whose son was kidnapped, and then instead of paying the ransom, he turned it into a bounty so the kidnappers would be captured or killed. Then there's the 2008 movie Taken and its sequels. Liam Neeson plays a man with a special set of skills that he employs to hunt down the criminals who kidnapped his daughter for human trafficking, and then he kills them, and the follow-up films follow a very similar formula. You've got Django Unchained in 2012, a freed slave searches out his still-captive wife to liberate her forcefully from the hands of a cruel plantation owner. John Wick from 2014 is maybe the ultimate in revenge movie catharsis. After his wife dies, the former hitman violently dispatches anybody who stands between him and his revenge on the son of a mobster who killed the dog his wife left him. And they've made three of these movies so far, and they're going to make more. Why? Why? because anger and revenge make money. It's cathartic. If we're frustrated or upset over some things, folks get really excited about watching skilled professionals systematically dismantle their opponents to death in graphically violent ways. Now, I, I really don't have anything against these films. I have seen all of the ones that I've listed, But I notice a little too often that we don't know where the cycle of life imitating art imitating life really begins or ends. And producers really just know that these movies put money in the bank, which is fine for them. But anger isn't always great for us. First, I want to clarify that there is a difference between righteous indignation and sinful anger. God and Jesus did, in fact, display righteous indignation. When his people were being enslaved, exploited, treated as objects or oppressed because other people were greedy or lusty or cruel, God got angry. When the vulnerable are preyed upon and the orphans and widows are not cared for because we value stuff and self over justice and mercy, God gets angry. If we ever get angry... We should reserve our anger for the stuff that makes God angry. That's not a sin if it expresses itself in functional ways. But what we're talking about here is a couple of other categories of anger. One is rage. And that's the flesh rising up in a way that lashes out in a failure of self-control. Rage is not a spiritual fruit. And I'm going to repeat that. Rage is not a spiritual fruit. The other is vengeance. Vengeance. The calculated desire to get someone back for the wrong that they've done. And sometimes in the Bible, when we read the words anger and wrath, though they basically mean the same thing in English, think of it as saying rage and vengeance. Anger and wrath, when you take it to how it could translate more literally for us, it would mean rage and vengeance. And that walks us up to our first lesson this morning. Anger is the clearest pathway to death. Anger is the clearest pathway to death. Verse 32, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. Finally, they came to the place called the Skull, and all three were crucified there, Jesus on the center cross and the two criminals on either side. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. After all that has led up to this point, the religious elite found Jesus worthy of death. But they didn't have the authority to execute someone, so they had to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Pilate asked if Jesus was king of the Jews, and in Luke, Jesus responded, yes, it is as you say. Pilate says he found nothing wrong, but the fickle crowd disagrees. Pilate tries to hand Jesus off to Herod, who was the Galilean governor. And Herod wanted to be impressed by this Jesus guy, but he was not. And so he sends Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate talks with the religious leaders to share their verdict. The crowd demands that Jesus should be killed anyway. Pilate offers to acquit Jesus and execute a guy charged with treason against Rome instead. But they chose to kill Jesus and release the other guy. Pilate gave in. Jesus was supposed to carry his own cross, but a guy named Simon of Cyrene was recruited to carry it for him, and we find ourselves with Jesus hanging on a cross between two convicted criminals. Nobody found Jesus guilty. There was no logical explanation for why he would get the death penalty. It was pure rage, it was pure vengeance. These religious leaders were so filled with hatred towards God's perfect love made flesh that once they started down that road towards murder, they would not be satisfied by anything less. Just like Jesus said would happen. In Matthew chapter 5, During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard Moses say, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the high council. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. See, anger consumes. Bitterness has this power of taking over. And once it gets a grip, anger does not easily let go. The Apostle Paul is telling the church at Ephesus this, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. And James, the brother of Jesus, just reinforces this, saying temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. Anger takes over. How do you identify with someone who's enveloped in anger or in wrath, vengeance? Our second lesson is this. Wrath spills venom on everything. Wrath spills venom on everything. The crowd watched, and the leaders laughed and scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's chosen one, the Messiah. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself a signboard was nailed to the cross above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. See, angry people tend to be evangelical about it. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that angry people tend to be evangelical about their anger? Folks, angry folks typically don't just let stuff slide. Say someone's angry about a work or family situation out of their control. Now, not all anger, but certain anger is often a dysfunctional expression of grief. And so, remember grief isn't just about somebody dying. Grief is about disruptive change. We grieve when something disrupts our course of life. And so, say you've got this angry person and this angry person goes out to eat. And you remember going out to eat, right? It's been a minute, but you remember. Now, imagine that their server is also having a bad night. Now, a healthy and functional person figures as much and maybe has a harder time leaving a 20% tip, but they still do it. But, not an angry person. Angry folks write a scathing one-star review while they're still sitting at the table. They tell all their friends about their bad experience. They blast the details on social media. They'll promise to never go there again. They try to get the server fired or find their court records or knife their tires or something. It just spills over and they'll recruit and they'll do whatever they can until something goes their way, which it won't because the server wasn't the problem. Their outburst was a symptom. Wrath was spilling over. Why were people so angry at Jesus, shouting at him and mocking him when the crowds hailed him as a king less than a week before? Their lives were rough. They were living in a place occupied by a violent military force. They were treated as second class, not even citizens. They were poor. They were powerless. And even the religious folks seemed to make life harder for them. The religious elite who encouraged the scorn, were angry because Jesus threatened their comfort, their power, and their security. So the religious elite stirred up the already put-upon people and offered Jesus as a guy to blame for their problems. Maybe killing this troublemaker and getting him out of the picture would solve it. And maybe so, but not in the ways that they would expect. Lesson three is this. Anger refuses to see its own need for grace. Anger refuses to see its own need for grace. Verse 40, but the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What do we deserve? That's a very important question. The answer to that question is central to many of our anger issues in life. It's also one of the most important theological anthropology questions we'll ever face. If we think we deserve sunshine and flowers, rainbows and puppies, then we look at life one way. If life, if God owes us health, peace, prosperity, family, joy, entertainment, we're likely to face disappointment in life because we've been robbed or slighted of something that we're owed what if we actually have earned punishment for our sin? What if our selfishness is paid back in death, as Scripture describes? What if we're owed exactly nothing? What if we owe a debt because our stumblings and our failings actually hurt others? What if we ask for what we truly deserve, and we find that we might get the swift and terrible justice of God Because the righteous indignation of God burns against those who purposefully or thoughtlessly wound others with destructive selfishness. Now listen, we all make mistakes. We all fail. We fall. What we think we deserve in those times makes a huge difference when we find ourselves on the ground. It's the difference between there is no God because I deserve better and Lord have mercy on me because I know what I've earned. Be gracious with me because I know the kind of seed that I've sown. When we see this starkly contrasted in the criminals on either side of Jesus, from one saying, prove it, save yourself and us, and from the other, we're getting what we deserve, but Jesus, please remember me. One criminal saw his need for grace, the other did not. And we've all broken God's law. We're all going to have some kind of conversation with Jesus about that someday. If that's the case, what kind of criminals are we? Prove it. Or remember me. That fateful day, anger and vengeance drove nails into the hands and feet to shed blood, the precious blood of Jesus. Anger mocked him while he hung on a rugged cross. And anger absolutely kills Jesus in our lives too. As with all these other mortal sins, this deadly sin builds a wall between our hardened hearts and the God of life. And that's a terrible place to be. So what do we do? What virtue does God have for us? That's our fourth lesson. Forgiveness is the death of wrath. Forgiveness is the death of wrath. Verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple was torn apart. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Now we have to know what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness isn't sweeping injustices under the rug and pretending like they didn't happen. It isn't re-engaging a dangerous relationship with an abuser. It's not like flipping a switch and all of a sudden you feel like you've forgiven or that you are forgiven. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a reflection of God's character. It's participating in God's justice that was perfectly enacted in Jesus' death on the cross. The Apostle Paul explains this to the church in Rome, saying, We're made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way, for no matter who we are or what we have done, for all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God, in his gracious kindness, declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins, For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. God was being entirely fair and just when he did not punish those who sinned in former times, and he is entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believe in Jesus. Can we boast, then, that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It's based on our faith. So we we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. God has the ultimate power to punish or forgive. And instead of punishing, God gave. God chose to become vulnerable. Jesus suffered so we might live And when we allow that sacrifice to transform our lives, when we choose to lay down the weapons of our anger that we use to destroy one another, the world changes with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, for it's only by God's special favor favor, that you have been saved." Even in the face of the soul-killing sin that stains our lives, God extends grace to us. We're given a clean slate so our lives are not defined by our past wrongs. God's anger no longer lays claim to those who are in Christ Jesus. Sure, the anger of humanity killed Jesus, and in his death, our anger could also be laid to rest. Because we have been set free we have been forgiven, and forgiven people understand what Jesus teaches us when he says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so we remember that we are forgiven. We choose to, like Jesus, make ourselves vulnerable. We lay down our weapons. We pray that God will use our acts of forgiveness to transform the hearts of those who harmed us. Engaging forgiveness is a death sentence for our anger. Withholding forgiveness is a death sentence for us. Be forgiven. Choose forgiveness. It's every bit the reason that Jesus endured the cross for us. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we are overwhelmed sometimes by our need for you. And God, there are times when we don't sense it. When we can go about our days thinking that all is just fine and that we have earned this place of dignity and well-being all on our own. God, we know that it is your grace your kindness that has provided for our every need, and that for the wrong we've done, it's not because we've cleaned up so well or because we've worked so hard, it's because of the gift of Jesus Christ that we receive forgiveness. And just as we have received forgiveness as a gift that transforms our hearts, Lord, help us to offer forgiveness as a gift so that those who harmed us those who caused us offense, that their hearts and lives may be transformed as well. Lord, it's against the way of the world, but it is the way of your kingdom. We forgive, and as we forgive, we are forgiven. Lord, help us to be people of mercy. Help us to be people of redemption. Help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that any of these things that would seek to separate us from you, that by your kindness, they would be wiped clean from our lives. You are powerful. You are good. You are love. And we thank you in Christ's holy name. Amen.